You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Author Elizabeth Stone has one of my favorite quotes on parenting. She says, making the decision to have a child is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside of your body. I'm sure every mom would agree with that. Also, I would add, making the decision to adopt and foster puts you in the same heart position. Motherhood is a, is a physically demanding role. It is an emotionally demanding role. And it is a high spiritual calling. Motherhood casts a wide net, far and lasting, and, and, and with far-reaching implications. I came across this verse of Scripture. It's, it's kind of a flyover Scripture, if you will. I mean, Paul's closing out his letter to the church at Rome, and he does, Paul kind of, in, in both cases, in his introduction to letters and his outro to letters, he has these greetings, and, and he find, we find this in uh, how he ends Romans. Romans 16, 13, he says, Hello to Rufus, a good choice by the Master, and his mother. She has also been a dear mother to me. And just in this phrase, I mean, one, not that Paul's acknowledging this, and I, and I think that this would have been a recognized thing. I think Rufus's mom, once he just lists this, people probably knew that read the letter and go, oh yeah, we watched that happen. We saw how that worked. And it just kind of demonstrates that this idea and this concept, if you will, that's maybe a weird way to say it, of mothering is a, is a broad net. And it's, it reaches so much further than a, than a biological connect. Um, Paul doesn't define what he means by a dear mother to me, but I think we instinctively know what he means, either by personal experience or from a personal desire. So to be mothered, I have, is to be, is to be cared for and even doted over, right, um, with an extraordinary affection. A mother's love is blind to appearance, limitations, and failures. Some kids are laughing, afraid to laugh out loud. Motherhood comes, this love from a mother comes from a deep reservoir that only moms can understand, When Annie was born, I remember holding her in the hospital and getting this overwhelming sense of love that I did not, had not experienced before. And this, at the same time, this petrified fear of, oh my gosh, I'm a dad. Now, those are powerful emotions, but they had already been exceeded by Gina's because she started that process 40 weeks earlier. And all the moms said, Amen, right? I mean, so, so there, the, it comes from a different place. It starts earlier, and, and I think in many cases it becomes very, very strong. To be mothered is to be fiercely defended. Uh, one year, uh, a gentleman, uh, Rodney, I don't know if Rodney's in here right now. Ro- Rodney McElwain was doing his security walk on a security team. And from time to time, we get geese that make, and I saw one this morning. I saw a goose this morning. And, and I think this, ge- this goose had developed a nest in one of the islands, and Rodney had gotten too close. 
And so this goose comes violently, you know, as big as it could get, wingspan, you know, just, and Ronnie's running. And I'll never forget, I'll never, I mean, I watched this happen. I'll never forget seeing that. And, and it, what, what a broad picture of being fiercely defended by a mom that you just got too close to the nest. Paul's relationship with Rufus's mother was at an extent that he wanted people to understand that this woman had taken care of me like that and she was under no obligation to do so. I have three aims with today's Mother's Day message. One is to introduce you to the mothering heart of God. The second is to up the ante on honor. And the third is to fill a mother's empty heart with hope today. You might have had the benefit of a great relationship with your mom. You may not have. Um, you may, Mother's Day is a tough day. There's a lot of emotions that circulate around Mother's Day. And in some cases, it's a day that um, women want to uh, avoid. And if you wanted to avoid it, but you came today, or if you're watching online today, or maybe you're going to catch this on replay, I believe God has something special for you today. Um, Here's the good news I want to share with you, that God is as perfect at mothering as he is at fathering. I want that to set in. That God is as, is as perfect at mothering as he's perfect at fathering, and he wants to love you with the love of a perfect mother. Now, before you head for the doors or turn channels... Let me give you some scriptural background for that. I understand that scripture identifies God as Father. We have the Trinity as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm not challenging that. But I want you to understand that God is neither male nor female. And as giver of life, he carries both roles of a loving father and as a loving mother. So let me read you a few scriptures. Psalm 56, 8 says, record my misery, list my tears on your scroll, are they not in your record? Now, who does that? Mothers. Dads say, rub some dirt on it. Get over it. Are you bleeding? <laughs> if not, move on. And yet, moms seem to have these long memories of everything and every challenge and every emotional hurt that their kids Carried. And I, I believe this is an illustrative fact, just one little verse of Scripture illustrating the fact of the mother heart of God. Isaiah 49, 15 says this, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Yes, it says that. It says there, God quantifies his love for us like a breastfeeding mother. And he says that it's, it's even possible that a mom who breastfeeds her children may forget them, and yet I will not forget you, Israel. Regardless of your failure, regardless of how you turn away from me, my affection for you will be greater than even a mom breastfeeding her child. Matthew 23, 37 says this, Jerusalem Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not 
willing. In this passage, Jesus' heart is going out to a nation that turned its back on him. And that metaphor that he uses to describe his love for her is a description of a mother's love. He is the giver of life. And to be the giver of life, he has to have these two hearts. Although we sing, we'll document more the father's heart of God. And yet the mother's heart of God is as strong as the father's heart of God. Let's face it, fathers and mothers bring different perspectives and skill sets to parenting. The same goals, but different approaches. When I was in college, I called my father when I needed something fixed. Like a speeding ticket. I would never call mom. I have not gotten one speeding ticket. Oh gosh, there I said it, right? Sports Illustrated jinx. I've not got one speeding ticket post-college, but in college, it was like my minor. I would call my dad, and dad and I could take care of this without mom getting involved. But you know what? When I was lonely, I did not call dad. That would have been a very short phone conversation. But with mom, it was this long, drawn-out process of how lonely I was being 800 miles away from home for the first time. Equally valued gifts that we need together in raising our families but distinct in what they bring to the table. What I really want you to know here is that God is just as equipped to be, to be your good mother as he is your good father. The second aim today is to refresh our honoring and how we do that. The older children get, the more challenging parenting becomes. Anyone know that? A couple of Mark Twain quotes bear this out, some of my favorite. The first is addressed to sons and fathers, but I think you get the connection. Twain says, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> and we can insert other language there, right? Old mom. Then my favorite of his quotes of all time is, when a child turns 12, you should put them in a barrel and feed them through the hole until they reach 16, at which time you should plug up the <laughs> hole. Now, since God created family, he creates man and woman, he, he create, creates husband and wife, he creates mom and dad, he creates sons and daughters, and because he is the one who creates family, he knew the key ingredient to successful families, and he knew this to be a non-expiring command, and he lists this in Exodus. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And this is the fifth commandment. How does this make it into such an auspicious list of things that begins, you will have no other gods before me, kind of ends with don't covet your neighbor's wife. And in the midst of all this, he says, oh, and by the way, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long on this earth. It is, it is seemingly the striking, like if you've been around it, you go, well, yeah, of course it's in there. But think about it. Why in the world would it be in this? God gives these 10 commandments to a nation that's going to enter into this area and this land that he wants to know this is how you keep these and you and I are going to be okay. But you're going to be in the midst of a lot of different other kind of, uh, we, would, you, we would say the words, you're going to be in a part of different religions, different ways to do things. And I'm going to give you the way in which to stay in tune with me. And here's the top 10, and this is one of them. 
This is unique. And he does so because parenting is a holy calling. And we illustrated that a little bit today by praying over two young families and their children. It's this acknowledgement that children are a gift from God and we live and never have we lived in a time where it was ever easy raising a family. Circumstances change. It's never been easy to raise a family. To raise a family as we're called to under the love and admonition and the training of the Lord. That's why it finds its way in there. Notice that the honoring doesn't come with age limits. Ours or theirs. There isn't some magical age when we get 13 seems to be one of the magical ages. I think we've backed that down to 10 now. We call that double digits. I don't under, I'm not sure I understand that. It's just another reason to get a bigger birthday gift, I guess. But you know, 13 is a big day. And then 16, right? The, the driver's license, that's a big day. It's a big day. I can go where I want to go. I'm independent, except you're not paying for the insurance, the gas, the carpet, you know. Well, then that must be, 18 must be the magic number. 18's a magic number, but 18 we find is not a magic number. And then 21's not a magic number. So maybe, maybe, maybe the numbers is not the magic. Maybe it's the role. So now when I become a husband or a wife, or when I become my own mom and dad, maybe that becomes the time in which that we can kind of decrease the honor in our household. And yet this command doesn't come with any of those. In fact, I would say the older our parents get, the better opportunity we have to demonstrate honor. When, when they're past their years of being able to give like they gave, one of my favorite bumper stickers I saw was that, that said, money isn't everything, but it sure keeps the kids in touch. <laughs> honor has no expiration date. Their expiration date or our expiration date. This begs the question, then what does honor mean? What does it mean to honor? It's, it seems to be such a general term. Simply put, to honor is to respect, to cherish, and to value. And honoring your father looks differently than honoring your mother. And days like this are a small microcosm of what that looks like. So on Father's Day, I want a card from my daughter that tells me that I mattered. I wanted to say that I mattered. She can write it just like that. I can dictate it to her. I just need to see, right, that she acknowledges that I mattered. And then I want to sit in my chair, and I want to watch the U.S. Open in my chair. It's always played on Father's Day. And I want to eat in my chair. I want to take a nap in my chair, and I don't want to leave my chair until I go to bed. Now, Mother's Day is completely different. On Mother's Day, Gina wants the same card, but she wants it to say something differently. She doesn't want it to say that she mattered. She wants, to, wants that card to indicate that she's valued. She wants the card to say, thank you, mom, for all that you poured into me. Thank you for all those days you did this and all the nights I didn't know you'd do this. This is what she wants to hear. And then what we do, she doesn't care what we do today as long as we do it together, that she doesn't have to plan it, cook for it, or clean up after it. <laughs> There's, there, okay, now we're alive. Now we're alive in the room, right? So, so, so honor, honor to our mothers and honor to our fathers, it, it, looks, it looks differently, right? As Gary Chapman would say, in his famous millions and millions of copies of books sold all over the world, on the, the, your moms and your dads have different love languages. And honoring them, I remember 
I remember Annie saying something to me that, I'm, oh, I'm going to go buy mom this gift or whatever. And I said, Annie, your mother doesn't care anything about a gift. If you're going to get mom a gift, you're getting it for you. And if you want to get you a gift by giving it to mom, go ahead. But it's not accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish. What mom wants you to do is clean your room. You will clean your room if you will do your, your own laundry. This will be communicating with honor and respect and value and cherishing. It looks different to a mom than it does to a dad. And do enough and think enough about figuring that out. Now, listen. When it says that so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you, I don't understand the depth of that promise. But here's what I do understand. That when there's honor in the home, there is peace in the home. You want to up the ante of peace in your home? Let's up the ante of honor in the home. Over time, this is what honor does. Over time, honor will repair breaches and heal wounds and replace both with peace and joy. How is that possible, Pastor? Because obedience unleashes powerful grace. Obedience unleashes powerful grace. You probably remember the time. You may be in it if you're a student, your time or your adult, when you needed everything explained to you. If, you. if someone was going to ask you to do something, you needed a full explanation. It needed to make sense in all of your boxes in order for you to comply. Is that really the way that we honor God our Father and the loving mother and father that we have in God? That we need him to explain everything out to its nth degree and order for it to make sense to us before we would do it? Or are we able to take at face value that one of these ten commandments is to honor your father and mother? And for him to understand, since he created families, that if I want peace in my home, then listen, moms and dads, how are we modeling our honor to our moms and dads? How are we modeling it? How are we coaching it in our own home? So I'm preaching three messages, but the first two were really short. So let's go to the third one on a mother's heart and replacing a mother's heart that may be broken or bitter with hope. Matthew 1, 5, and 6 says this. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Isn't that a great Mother's Day message, passage of Scripture? Isn't that great? Well, this is a portion of the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew 1 lists 41 fathers and five mothers. Now, to a sensitive audience, modern audience, there would, you could take offense to that. Well, come on now, ladies, right? Why, why weren't we listed more? But the fact of the matter that's fives listed in an ancient genealogy where women were, were rarely in any culture listed in genealogy, and we have five women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And in this passage, we, hit, we get Rahab and we get Ruth. These are two Rahab. And these two women aren't Jews. These two women are Gentiles. And in, a, in, in the layered fashion that Scripture gives us, and just about every Scripture you read how layered it is, this is an indication of how God, Christ comes for the nations, and not just for one nation. 
And then Ruth is particular. She, she is, we have two uh, uh, books in the Bible named after women. Ruth's one of those. And Ruth's main message, that it get, gospel message that gets proclaimed in Ruth is the one framed in the heart of a mother and a daughter. In real short, this is how it goes. Naomi and her husband Elimelech have to leave Judah, Bethlehem in particular, because there's a famine. And they flee to Moab. Well, in a very time-crunched first chapter, what we learn is shortly after they move to Moab, Elimelech dies. And over the next 10 years, we have her boys marrying two women, Orpah and Ruth, but those boys die at the 10-year mark. And she has no grandchildren. So she leaves Israel, leaves Bethlehem and Judah. She leaves there with a husband and two young strapping boys. And at the end of 10 years, no husband, no boys, no grandkids, two daughter-in-law from Moab. And she encourages them both to stay. And then as you can kind of read the emotions of this scene because um, they cry, they, 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 we would say they ugly cry. It says they wept out loud because they didn't want to leave her. So Orpah, Orpah does get convinced to stay. Stay in Moab. Stay with your family. Stay here. I, I have nothing to give you. Stay here. But Ruth decides to go. And, and listen to the emotions here in Ruth, uh, um, from Ruth. She says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now, how is that for a relationship between a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law? And it says that Ruth was some kind of force, some kind of emotional force uh, Naomi must have been. And, and the fact that, that Ruth would come up with su this such elaborate um, uh, reasons to stay. How, how do you negate that as a, as a mom? Tells you Ruth kind of has a lot of chutzpah too. So 19 says, so the two women went until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now names in scripture carry significant meaning. They either speak to a, a, a current character of the individual, or they're even sometimes a, a prophetic, a, um, uh, speaking to who are they going to become. So Naomi means pleasant, lovely, and winsome. Someone that then you could see why Orpah and Ruth would have wanted to stay. Um, that maybe there was something deficient in their own households that they left, that they found in Naomi. Um, but, but up from when, when Naomi arrives back after being gone 10 years, and her friends are surprised to see her, that Naomi has this unusual response to them. 
by saying, no, 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 I left full. Basically, she's saying, I'm returning empty. I left full. I'm returning empty. My soul is bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, in Scripture, God has, has this way of changing people's names. And they're, they're pretty powerful moments in Scripture. But I, I haven't come across another Scripture that has someone changing their own name other than here. She changes her own name to reflect her current state. It's a heavy moment. Maybe this is the first time she feels the opportunity to offload all of this, all of this deep emotions. And because God is all-powerful and all-knowing uh, and ever-present, he becomes the most con- convenient person to blame in these circumstances. After all, if he's all of that in a bag of chips, why wouldn't he have changed? Why isn't our life working out the way we had planned if we have a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever present. And I don't want to diminish her pain in the least. And I don't want to diminish yours currently if you're walking through it. But I want you to know this. I used this phrase in a message probably a month and a half ago. Nothing is over until God says it's over. And when he says it's over, it's over. See, we filter our lives through snapshots. God is making a movie. We filter our lives through chapters and through seasons, and God is writing an entire book. And it's easy then to sit in Naomi's seat and come back, back home to the people she knows and know that she is markedly different than the woman that left and to express that emotion with the significance of don't even call me by my my name. I'm not winsome. I'm not pleasant. I'm not lovely. I'm bitter. Call me Mara, we can understand the pain that she feels. I can understand the pain that you might feel or might have felt that's still lingering from another time in your life. But nothing's over until God says it's over. And when he says it's over, it's over. So listen, don't change your name if he's not going to change your name. Don't take on an identity, even though that identity gets connected to your season and your emotions and all of that's real. Don't take on a name that's not your name. God's given you a name. God's given you a character. God is there with you in the midst of these chapters and these seasons that are painful and bitter and they feel empty and they feel like there's, there's no hope. He is with you in those seasons. But if he doesn't change your name, don't change your name. So verse 22, so Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem, say right place, as the barley harvest was beginning, say right time, right place, right time. They're circling back to Bethlehem, Epaphra, Judah, as a precursor to this whole book that God is writing. The benefit of returning to her home country of Judah was that God had made a security provision in Jewish law for widows with no sons. It was, it was called the kinsman redeemer. 
And the role of a kinsman redeemer was to ensure that a widow with no sons, two things, that to assure that property would remain in the family and to ensure that the family name would go on. And this, this was a provision made in Jewish law. And so here comes the next chapter. So on their return, return, they have nothing. Ruth then goes out to a field to glean. So gleaning, gleaning would have been uh, following the harvesters and the things that they would drop or, or what, they, what they failed to gather in completion was left for the poor to come behind and glean. In fact, it was also law for them to leave stuff, to, to not be so efficient in their harvesting that there would be stuff for people to pick up behind them. And Ruth picks this particular field. We'd have no idea why. She picks this field and she goes and she gleans in this field. And when the owner of that field, Boaz, returns, he, rec- he notices her. And this is the, the, um, the dialogue he has with his overseer. The overseer replied, so he, who is this woman? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Strong work ethic. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the woman, the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's another mothering heart of God portrayed. Here's a side note. Ruth's honoring character beat her into this room. And just just really a caveat that I can't go down. I can't go down this trail. But I want you to understand that your character always beats you into the room. So your, your, your your public character is forged privately. Your public character is forged privately. And Ruth's public character is noticed here, but it was all done privately. Beats her in a room. So Boaz sends her home with enough food. Naomi realizes, hey, where'd you get that food? Whose field was that? Boaz. Ah, Boaz. Boaz is our kinsman Redeemer. Boaz is related to Elimelech. So here's what you do. Here's how now we come in contact with Boaz. Now, I want you to understand that the book is named Ruth. All this is about Naomi so far. Naomi is the one with the empty, bitter heart. But Ruth also lost a husband. Ruth lost her husband. Ruth leaves her family. Ruth has no children. So Naomi instructs him. She instructs her to do something specific. And then after that, here comes the conclusion. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Those were her sons. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, 
Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people of the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Epaphra and and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now there's a lot here. But what I want you to see is when Ruth goes and lays at the feet of Boaz on the threshing floor, when Boaz wakes up and she tells him that you are our kinsman redeemer, redeemer, Boaz said, I will take care of this today. Today. And this is what really feeds us when God, nothing is over till God says it's over. And when he says it's over, it's over. And that day, Boaz goes out and does what's necessary. He tracks down another guy who was closer in line with him. But when he outlines all of what redeeming their property and taking Ruth would mean, the guy says, no, not me. And Boaz steps up and he takes care of all of that. And when he announces that at the city gate, then the elders, they're, they're amazed at this. May, may, you, may she be like Rachel and Leah, okay? History lesson, Rachel and Leah. They are the wives of Jacob, as in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Rachel and Leah, Leah have 12 sons. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And Judah is one of those. This is, they're in Judah. They're in Bethlehem. The Messiah is born in Bethlehem. He is from the tribe of Judah. May you be more famous. And what we find here is now, Ruth and Boaz become the great-grandparents to David. But where does this start? It starts with a woman where seemingly everything is taken from her. Her husband, her home her kids. Now she has two daughter-in-laws, but she has no children, no, no grandchildren, and she returns home. How difficult must it have been for her to go home? She had no choice but to go home, but she's returning to a home that had a provision for the very situation that she was in, a kinsman redeemer. Micah 5.2 says, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, you don't have that, don't don't go looking for it back there. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and ancient times. This is generations before Jesus would be born. Why, Why am I telling you that? Because God does write chapters, but he finishes books. And when you define your life by a chapter or a season, you will change your name. And that's not who you are. So let's recap the facts of the story. Naomi flees Bethlehem pleasant and full. She returns empty without her husband or sons. She proclaims her life bitter by changing her name. But it's not over yet. Here's Ruth 4, 13 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Come on up, team. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. 
He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. I, I love this part. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better than, to you than seven sons. So that's our worth, gentlemen. That's our worth right there. One daughter-in-law trumps seven of us. All right? Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Isn't it interesting? It wasn't like Ruth had a son. But Naomi has a son. Why would there be this recognition? Because when Naomi is holding this baby, you can see everything has now changed in her. She is the Naomi they knew. She is, she is reborn with the birth of this child. Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. You ask why, why they list all these genealogies in Scripture. Here's one particular reason why. To show us that chapter upon chapter leads to books. Who knows what chapter God's writing in you for the book he's going to complete because see, he knows our beginning from our end. The prophetic moment this morning as I was even standing up here on Friday and I do that quite a bit. I'll stand here on a Friday or a Saturday and I'll walk up and down these aisles and I'll walk across this platform and I'll, and I'll preach this message to me. Many times the Lord would speak to me in those moments. The prophetic moment in today is that your bitter chapter, someone's bitter chapter is coming to an end today. And it may be just you watching online. It may, you might catch this later because it was too difficult of a service to attend. But your bitter chapter is coming to an end. Nothing is over until God says it's over. When God says it's over, it's over. Boy, and when Boaz says, I will take care of this today, Boaz took care of it today. So empty and bitter was the last chapter of your life. Full again and refreshed is your upcoming chapter. There is hope in Jesus, your kinsman redeemer. Here were the three aims today. One, God is as perfect at, as, at mothering as he is perfect at fathering. He wants to love you with the love of a perfect heavenly mother. If you have grown up without that love of a mother, God is fully equipped to love you in that capacity that you missed. And that might have been a chapter in your life. But do not change your name over that chapter in your life. Receive. See, some, calling God Father sometimes is a significant barrier for people. Maybe because of their 
own issues or, or relationships with their dad. And we don't even talk about that part of our hearts that needed to be nurtured by a mom. But God is a perfect mother and a perfect father. Second aim was to up the ante of honor in your home. If you're a student in here, it applies to all of us on how we honor and respect and love our parents. But particularly if you are not a parent and you are a teen or 20-something, honor in your home will invade your home with peace. If you don't feel peace in your home as a student, can I challenge you to bring honor and you will see breaches over time heal and pain healed. I'll tell you, my, I know this is Mother's Day, but my relationship with my father changed drastically when I was in college when I called him one day at the station. And I said, Dad, I'm sorry for how I acted as a teenager. And I fully expected my father to say, oh, son, it's okay. It was all my fault. That's how arrogant I was about it. And he said, thank you. In our relationship, 180. It was a 180 after that. Students, you have as much to do with the peace in your home as your parents do. Challenge you to up the ante and watch obedience change things with the powerful grace that comes with it. Last piece was the empty and bitter was the last chapter of your life and full again and refreshed is the upcoming chapter. I don't know how hard it was to come today. But I pray that those moments, this moment will pay off. I'm going to pray for you, but here's what I want you to do. We're not going to do our traditional thing today, but if whether you're a mom and this hit home or whether you're a student and this whole honor thing hit home or whether you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're a man in here, mom in here, and that mothering piece at the beginning hit home, what I want to do is I want to lend some faith today you may be in the position that need to borrow some faith today. And so as I, pr- I want to pray for you, and I just want you to stand right now. If any piece of this message, you know this piece was meant for me. This was a prophetic word for me today. I just want you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want you to stand up so we can pray for you. Any of this? Don't be bashful because you don't want to miss, you don't want to miss the moment. All right? This, in some cases, was God saying, something's over. If you're around these men or women standing, I want you to place a hand on their shoulder in faith. You're going to lend some faith. You don't have to know who they are. You just have to have enough faith that you're going to be able to pray for them. All right? So if anyone doesn't have it, come over here and Bernie. Someone, turn around, Matthew. Someone pray for Bernie over here. We'll make sure everybody has a hand on the shoulder. Someone's praying for them. Dear God, these are your kids. People watching at home, those are your kids. You don't have to be reminded of that. We, we need to be reminded of that, that we're your children. 
I pray that the mothering heart of God, that the God who collects our tears in a bottle, the God who writes down every pain, fills every wound. Father, I pray that only the love that a mother can give, that these men and women that needed this today will would receive that from you today, that you want to give them that in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would show new ways to demonstrate honor in the home, that grace and peace would flood every door that honor opens in the name of Jesus. Every smallest move at honor would be met with a flood of peace and grace in the name of Jesus. And then, Father, specifically here to end, I pray for the the moms, the women who feel empty and not full, who have begun to feel bitter over this season in their life. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill it, you would change it. Lord, if they've changed their name, Lord, I pray that you would change it back to Naomi, that they would be pleasant and lovely and winsome in the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.